Welcome to Cowside Conversations, a monthly podcast brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence. We've heard time and time again that dairy farmers learn the most from other dairy farmers. So in this podcast, we are going to share real-time farmer insights, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across Pennsylvania. I'm Jane Seabright, Director at the Center. Here's this month's episode. We know that low-cost improvements on a dairy farm can lead to major advancements in cow comfort, productivity, and ultimately your profitability. For this fifth episode of our Cowside Conversations, I'm pleased to welcome Alan Waybright, who is from Newville, Cumberland County. Alan recently took over a dairy and made some modest improvements there that I think are paying back big dividends. So, Alan, let's go ahead and get started. First of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your dairy operation, your size and scale, and where you're located. Thank you for the invite to uh, CalSide Conversations. Like you mentioned, I'm located in Newville, Cumberland County. It's an 850 cal freestall herd with 770 heifers and 174 acres. Thanks, Alan. So tell us a little bit about the history of the farm and when you moved into the dairy. I moved here in 2019, February, purchased the farm that year, moving a herd of cows from my home dairy farm, Mason Dixon Farms. Okay. So the previous owner milked jerseys in the facility, and you milk Halstein and crossbreeds. How did that change how the facility needed to function for your dairy? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, Fran and Dane Maines owned the facility farm for 35 years prior to this, and they made gradual improvements to the facilities over the years. The late 1989, they built a power and a couple of freestall barns, and every decade they'd added two more freestall barns. Originally, they milked up until the late 2000s. They were milking Holsteins, and they converted over to jerseys in the last 10 to 12 years. So the facility was designed for Holsteins. Okay, so talk a little bit about the changes and the improvements that you did make when you first moved into the facility. The dimensions of the freestalls were pretty much correct. The, the width were at 48 inches. Head-to-head freestall loops were at 7.5 feet. The single-row freestalls were at 7 feet. The first thing I did was we moved the neck rail, since they were back about 64 inches for uh, jerseys, and just moved them the whole way forward to about 68 inches. And then the other thing is I had a rubber mattress in all the freestalls, and what we did was put a retaining 2x4s for 4 inches in the back of the freestalls to uh, use compost manure for bedding. So it's gone to a deep bedding for the cows. And then in a couple of the barns, uh, they had concrete brisket boards in, or briskets, concrete briskets, and we jackhammered those out and did not put a, a brisket board back in. And then the other thing was... Uh, in the one barn, the length of walking for the cows was over 60 freestalls. And so we took out a middle section of the freestalls so they had an extra crossover to go through the barn. Okay, can you, you talk to what some of your goals were when you were making those changes? Well, one wanted to increase cow comfort and cooling. Uh, it's, the farm had a good cooling system. And the reason I wanted to go to deep bedding to get more lying time down for the cows and get them to use the freestalls more. Do a once a week bedding with manure solids, and then we top dress lime twice a week. Once while we do bed the pen, and about four days later we do it again to help control uh, somatic cell count and mastitis. 
So the changes you made were relatively low cost. Can you talk a little bit about that focus and the simplistic it was maybe to do some of the things that you did? Okay. Yes. Uh, Dan stopped milking about the 10th of February that year. And 10 days later, I started milking on the 21st. So during those 10 days or so, came in with an outside contractor to put the brisket boards in, jackhammering the concrete out, and then using my own crew to uh, change the, the neck rails and increase the length of the, the, the bedding for them. Did you work with any outside consultants or advisors to help you think through those changes? Yes, I hired Dr. Corey Myers prior to bringing the cows in, and then he and I and the herd manager, Josh McCollum, we walked through the facility and looking at areas where we can make improvements, and he made several good suggestions. And also, times I used Penn State Extension to help with those changes, too. Did you work with their engineer with Dan, or who did you work with at Penn Dan State? Dan McFarland, yes. Yeah, Dan McFarland. So it's the herd manager that you're working with now, the same one that worked with Dan when he had the dairy, or did you have a new herd manager that came along with you? Now, he worked, Josh worked with Dan before, and pretty much what it did during the transition from um, from one ownership to the other, pretty much kept the same uh, routines and procedures in place for the, the staff, retained uh, pretty much all the milkers at that time, too. And we just stayed with the same milking procedures, made only a few minor changes, even though we were going from Jersey's to Holstein's. That sounds really good. It sounds like it was easier for the employees to transition that way. So now you're two years into the facility. Can you tell me a little bit about how the herd is doing and how you think the changes you made are impacting their performance? The facility is, is housing 850 cows. When I first initially came up, uh, moved here, I brought 650 uh, milk cows and then 12 dry cows and 150 bred heifers. The cows took it really well. It took us three weeks to move to the herd up. It was the end of February, early March. They took the trip well. They bounced back fairly well on milk production. Uh, it was in the low 80s pound range initially there in March. One thing that I was kind of surprised was there's only three cows that really did not transition well on the trip. I was kind of expecting more cows to be called because of the trip, but there's only three that we had to call for that. That's really good. Three out of 650 plus the dry cows and the heifers, that's a pretty good number. Especially when this was an older part of the herd. The majority of the herd was third lactation or older, at least 400 cows out of that, and then the other remaining was second, uh, first and second lactations. So now that you're two years into it, how is the herd doing now? Today, uh, milk production is around 92 pounds of milk. Fat and protein, fat is around 4%. Protein, we were at 3.12. First year, we actually did a little bit better on, on production. In two, uh, 2020, we averaged pretty much 95 pounds. Uh, that's because 2019 was a really good corn uh, crop year with starch being in 36 to 38% starch. So also the uh, smack cell count has been running right around 100,000 smack cell count the last two years. The herd before they came up here, it was pretty much running between 150,000 to 200,000, depending on the time of year. So this improvement in smack cell count once they came up here, I think be for two reasons. One is once we do put the bedding in, the compost manure seems to dry out quicker in these facilities. It gets air, more air movement. The, the manure solids seem to pretty much turn to, to powder in, within 24 hours. So I think the lime 
also helps keep the bacteria down as much as possible. Yeah, it seems like they're really doing well on the the compost and the more solids. So what do you think the return on investment was on the improvements you made? The initial investment, uh, what I did during those 10 days, was $18,000, and that includes the lumber and uh, labor to install. So I think that paid back within the end of the first year easily. So where do you think you got the biggest bang for your buck in the things that you've done so far? Well, I think it was a combination of three things. Definitely the deep bedding, uh, cow comfort for the cows to lay down. The cows do use the free stalls quite well. Uh, I think that helped quite a bit. Going to a sprinkler, circular fan versus a tunnel ventilated misters, uh, they took the heat much better during the summer months than they were in the, uh, the older facilities. And the third thing, you know, the nutrition part of it, it was a really good corn crop that year. So how do you think any of these improvements that you made would translate to benefiting other farms? Well, the gold standard has always been sand bedding, deep bedding. And I think North Solid's deep bedding is a good alternative to sand, uh, just because of some of the challenges of handling sand and moving that. It makes sense to use manure sauce because it's, you have quite a bit of it on the farm, and it's a good use of that if it's managed properly. You can get good return on that. Can you talk a little bit about how you manage your manure solids and get them dried down enough to utilize? Yes, it goes through a manure goes through a fan squeezer initially and it drops right into a drum composter that constantly rotates. It's retained for about 24 hours before it comes out the other end. By the time it gets out into a pile which we do bed once a week, it's used up within seven days of bedding. So on another note, it seems like you are working with a lot of outside experts like your nutritionists and others to help you make those key management decisions. How important do you think that's been to have a team approach? Well, since I'm the only senior management here and I'm the only partner, I thought it was important to have an advisory team because there's, I did have areas of weakness or inexperience, especially in nutrition, and also, I want to set up right away, uh, have a good understanding of what my financially, how we are doing. So I do use uh, on advisory team. I do have Mike Osterman from Ag Choice, Dr. Bob Fry from Cargale, Noah Hughes, who was Dan's uh, nutritionist before, and then also using Dr. Corey Myers from Maryland Vets. And the other important part of the team, uh, even though they're not part of the advisory team, is a, the accountant I use, which uh, set up right away, QT. really gives me good feedback and understanding where I am financially at any given time. So let's talk a little bit about the different team members. So first of all, you're using your nutritionist on your advisory team. Talk a little bit about your relationship and how you're using them to make decisions. Well, yes, this is an all-purchase feed dairy operation. I still have a partnership with Dan Maines, who does continue to do the cropping part, and plus five other farmers I have used in the neighborhood in the last two years. Forage part of it is primarily corn silage. Well, it is corn silage, and then a couple pounds of dry hay. I make about 12,000 tons of corn silage a year. Dan makes about almost 9,000 tons. Because the first year was really shorthanded on corn silage because of switching from jerseys to Holstein, uh, and plus it was just not enough corn silage. I barely made it to the fall and got into the new crop corn silage and would start feeding right away. So your nutritionists, are they taking the forage samples for you? They're formulating the ration. How often are you talking with them? How often are you tweaking the rations? 
NOAA stops by uh, every two weeks, along with probably a weekly phone call or text messages, how things are going. Every two weeks, we do have a sit down with Josh and him and myself and going over improvements of how the cows are performing, has there been any health issues, and also at the same time, knowing Dr. Corey Myers are communicating back and forth what he is seeing when he does uh, repro work, vet check uh, on a weekly basis on Monday. That actually brings up another point. It does seem like you're working more closely with Dr. Corey Myers than maybe other farms are working with their veterinarians. Just talk a little bit about that relationship, how you're leveraging his expertise from your perspective. Known Corey a, a number of years before I purchased this farm. Probably one of the first hires I did before I did start up here. I thought it was important to have a good vet who's progressive um, in thinking and has a good understanding of what large herd cow management is. And also he has some good understanding of employee management, which I thought was important. And there are a couple of things I want to have emphasized stockmanship within uh, employees just to keep up to date in those, those kind of areas. So you're really working with him to train your employees on calcite care, stockmanship? Yes, along with uh, Marcella Martinez from Penn State. I use her as a bilingual, have meetings three or four times a year. Okay, and then lastly, you talked a little bit about your accountant and how you really thought it was important to have a good accountant working with you right from the get-go. Are you doing any benchmarking? Are you working with them in that area at all? Yes, we have uh, KPIs that we're using that we we had set goals with with the advisory team, and we we parlay that in with the financials, you know, feed costs, dry matter take, and production. The one thing I really want to had a clue on is where the money is being spent on the dairy operation, especially in the feed and labor costs. Your dairy is especially unique in the fact that it's a purchased dairy here in Pennsylvania. That makes it different than many. How do you work with your crop farmers? to control your costs, ensure you're getting good quality feed, that kind of thing? Well, it's obviously, I, since I'm not raising the crops, I am paying more for uh, forages than I would an operation that's growing its own feed. So I, I knew right off the bat, I have to perform well or above average in other areas. Dan, like I talked about earlier, he does grow the majority of the corn silage, but then I have been approached by a number of the other farms in the area to have built a relationship back and forth. Them, uh, I'm purchasing the feed and they take the manure. So my last question for you, Alan, is as uh, someone who's only been really daring on your own for the past two years, how do you think that has given you a different perspective? It gave me an opportunity to try the ideas I thought we should be doing, and I can implement the ideas a lot sooner than I could in a partnership. I know where my areas of weaknesses are. I kind of back that up with having an advisory team and using outside advisors for that. They've been good about pointing out areas of weakness a lot quicker, probably, in some areas, especially, I think, this past two years. One issue probably has really cropped up was foot health and, and some of the uh, problems with that and continuing to try to improve on that. One area was place the mattress flooring in the parlor and holding area. Probably should be some more mattress or belting put out in the freestyle barns, but at this point, I have not done that. Thank you for joining us, Alan. We really appreciated the time to learn a little bit more about the dairy and some of the things you're doing to implement low-cost improvements as well as working with outside advisors. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. To help more farmers invest in these low-cost improvements that will enhance their performance and efficiency, the center is currently offering a dairy excellence grant 
This grant offers a 50% match of up to $5,000 in matching funds for investments in your milking, housing, or feeding systems. You can find more information about that grant on our website at centerfordairyexcellence.org backslash dairy dash excellence dash grants backslash or you can call us at 717-346-0849 but hurry because our deadline for that grant is coming soon it's actually march 31st alan thanks again for joining us today i really appreciate your willingness to share your insights for those listening and thanks to our listeners for joining this fifth episode of Calside Conversations. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence to share farmer insights, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across the state. For more episodes, subscribe to the series on Apple, Spotify, or Google.